Welcome to Bible Greek VPod's Intermediate Greek Program. This is lesson 23. In this lesson, you will learn the perfect and the pluperfect verb tenses. The Greek perfect tense expresses a completed act with continuing results. The word perfect comes from the Latin perfectiere, meaning to bring to an end, to complete or to finish. The perfect and the pluperfect are similar and are identical in aspect, though different in time. That is to say, both the perfect and the pluperfect indicative speak of the event as accomplished in the past and the results existing afterwards. But the perfect sees the results existing in the present, while the pluperfect sees the result existing in the past. However, make no mistake, the perfect is the tense of completed action. The action is seen as coming to a state or point of completion with the result existing in its finished state. Let us take a look at the uses of the perfect. The first usage is the intensive perfect. The intensive perfect is the usage closest to its base meaning. The primary focus of the intensive perfect is upon the existing results as finished. The intensive perfect is sometimes called the resultive perfect for this reason. Examples include Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Just as it is written, there's the perfect, it is written, gagrapatai, just as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Another example is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 through 4. For I have delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised, there's the perfect, He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The next usage is called the consummative perfect. The consummative perfect emphasizes the completed action of past action that had continued for a while but has now come to an end. An example is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought, there's the perfect tense there, I have fought the good fight, I have finished, another perfect, I have finished the course, I have kept, there's the third perfect tense here, I have kept the faith, completed action. Another example is found in John chapter 1, verse 34. And I have seen, there's the perfect tense. Notice the perfect comes into play a lot with the seen, hearing conditions, the seen, hearing verbs. Let me continue. I have seen, that's the perfect, and I have testified, that's another perfect, completed act, 
that this is the Son of God. Another usage is called the iterative perfect. The iterative perfect expresses the recurrent intervals rather than continuous progress. For example, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, there's the perfect tense there, an iterative sense there, that which we have heard, which we have seen over and over and over, the recurrent intervals, with our eyes, which we looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The perfects there are expressing the abiding effect of hearing and seeing, the iterative effect. Finally, with the perfect, we have a usage called the dramatic perfect. The dramatic perfect is used when the author wishes to describe a past event in a vivid, though realistic, way. Since the perfect represents an existing state, this usage is the most forceful way of expressing an historical event viewing an existing state. For example, John chapter 1 verse 15 says this, John testified concerning him and cried out, that's the perfect tense, dramatic perfect in this case, he cried out saying, and you hear the drama out of it, he cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. It's an example of the dramatic perfect. It's a completed act, but there's a drama that is played out. Another example is found in Revelation chapter 5, verse 7. Then he came and took, there's the perfect, he took the scroll out of the right hand of him, who sat on the throne. See, it sounds like a simple aorist, doesn't it? The translation is in the simple aorist type of past tense. But it's really a perfect. Um, and so, it could have been translated, then he came and had taken the scroll. But most translations just give it a simple aorist, simple past tense. Let's take a look now at the uses of the pluperfect. First, we have a consummative pluperfect. The consummative pluperfect emphasizes the completion of the action in reference to past time. An example is found in John chapter 11, verse 13. Now, Jesus had spoken, there is the pluperfect, had spoken of his death. But they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep, speaking of a, a completed action in past time. Finally, we have the intensive pluperfect. The intensive pluperfect emphasizes the result of the action that existed in past time. Doctors Dana and Manti write, here, stress is laid upon the reality of the fact which 
enables it to be presented with more force than could be done with the aorist. But the only device for construing it in English is the simple past. An example is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 41. Here Luke says, But demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Son of God, and rebuking them. He would not allow them to speak, because they knew there is the intensive pluperfect. They knew. It's a simple past tense that he was the Christ. Now, I hope you have gone to the website and you have your translation before you and the detailed analysis. And let's take a look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. John now gives us the content of the testimony. Look at verse 9. I've translated it like this. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. John now moves the reader to think about these things. By introducing the phrase with the conditional I, if, the usage of the conditional particle with the indicative forms the first class conditional clause, meaning this is a condition of reality. Specifically, if we receive the witness of men, and we do, that's the first class coming in, the reality, we do accept the witness of men, then is not God's witness greater than man's? John affirms the reality that we naturally accept the testimony of others. And in fact, he has already commanded us to test the message received because this is a fallen world. There are many people who believe whatever they read or hear, and yet they will not believe the witness of God. The testimony materia we receive has its source from the anthropos, the men. The definite article with man or men specifies a particular group of men intent on deception. The idea is that we continually lambano, the present active indicative, first person plural, we continuously or continually receive the message. The verb possesses the subject we and most likely speaks of the we as humans in general in what is called a generic we as opposed to the we in the narrow sense of John and the church. Dr. Barnes writes this, As we are accustomed to do, and as we must do in courts of justice, and in the ordinary daily transactions of life, we are constantly acting on the belief that what others say is true, that what the members of our families and our neighbors say is true, that what is reported by travelers is true, that what we read in books and what is sworn to in courts of justice is true. We could not get along a single day if we did not act on this belief, nor are we accustomed to call it in question. 
unless we have reason to suspect that it is false. The mind is so made that it must credit the testimony borne by others. And if this should cease, even for a single day, the affairs of the world would come to a pause. That's what Dr. Barnes says. The central and most important point stated here is that the witness of God is greater than the men. Why? Because John has just stated that the plurality of witnesses has testified the spirit and the water and the blood. This fact concerning the maturia, the nominative feminine singular is subject here with the definite article, the testimony or the witness whose source is from Theos, God, stands greater than man. The comparative, meson, it's an adjective, nominative, feminine, singular, matching the mutura, uh, is greater, larger, or stronger, implies the comparison is, is with respect to men. If the source of the testimony is from God, and it is, then is not God's testimony greater than man's? Finally, the verb imi, a present indicative, to be or exist, is a present state of being verb that speaks of God's continuous state of being as a witness. And not only that, but that God's witness is always greater than man's. Who would you believe, God or man? The next phrase. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified concerning his Son. John does not leave the testimony undefined. The content of the testimony concerns his Son in relation to our eternal destiny, eternal life. For he now states, Hati ate estin ha maturia tu theu. For this is the witness of God. The conjunction hati is translated for. The near demonstrative pronoun hutas, a dative feminine singular, notice that this is the feminine pointing to the testimony, maturia, and is augmented by the superlative meson, for this is the greater witness that comes from God. The specific testimony is identified by the subject, materia, the testimony, or the witness, and exists now and forever. That's what the I me state of being verb uh, uses. And the source of this testimony is from God. The relative pronoun introduces a subordinate clause, the hos, which he has testified concerning his son. The verb witness is now placed in the perfect tense of maturio, the perfect active indicative, third person singular, he has testified. Peri tu huiu atu, concerning the son of him. The perfect tense stands out, saying, God has testified in the past, and that this testimony stands 
complete. The preposition peri is properly genitive, meaning about or concerning, thus matching the genitive and possessive nature of huios, the son, and again of atus, of him. Move down to verse 10, the first phrase. He that believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The testimony goes back to the basics. Belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as he alone is our substitute for sin. He alone paid the price and he alone is the only one that could pay the price. Salvation and our testimony echoes Scripture's testimony concerning salvation and involves the message of Jesus Christ, who He is, what He did, and why He did it. The testimony continues with the fact that He rose from the dead, thus conquering death, and is right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. The word for believe is the participle of pistuo. It is a present active participle, nominative masculine singular with the definite article, to think to be true, to be persuaded of a thing, or to have faith. Dr. Vines adds this, to place confidence in, to trust signifies in this sense of the word reliance upon not mere credence. So the translation of the present participle is rendered the one that is believing into the Son of God has the witness. The preposition ice into properly expresses the root meaning of the preposition to mark the direction and relative position of the action. Thus, the one that believes moves in trust and reliance from self to the Son of God, from self-reliance to dependence upon God. The preposition with the accusative gives the direction of the transfer from self to the object of the phrase, ton huion tu theu, the Son of God. The subject, namely, the one that is believing right now, has or possesses the same testimony as the Word of God, indeed the same as the Spirit of God, for it is God's testimony. The Spirit testifies to our spirit. That's in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Clearly, our testimony is from the Holy Spirit. When He saves us, He gives us the correct theology. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Acts 1 8 says is that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, there can be no witness to Christ. This work of the Spirit is a new work in this dispensation of the indwelling Spirit. The present indicative of echo, to have or hold, means this person right now really has the same testimony. 
the definite article with the object materia. The testimony or the witness means this person's testimony is specific and points to the testimony in question, the same testimony that God gave us in the beginning. That was in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Finally, this testimony is our testimony, as it is in, positionally speaking, the preposition in, this believer himself. The reflexive pronoun himself enforces the direction and position of the preposition by use of the dative case. This is a testimony that is meant to be transferred directly from God to man and repeated by the believer himself to all the world. You might say this testimony is designed by God to be passed down from generation to generation by word of mouth, but must contain and conform to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit works together with the Word of God to convict of the Word of Truth. The Holy Spirit teaches, but not apart from the Word of God. The next phrase, He that does not believe in God has made him a liar. To make the point clear, the translation is, He that does not believe in God, he, that is the unbeliever, has made him, that is God, a liar. The two participles mark two very different types of people. The one that right now believes has a correct testimony, but the one that does not believe right now is seen as making God a liar. The negative may is added to the present participle, pistuo, the one that does not believe in God, identifying a person who is influenced by man's word as opposed to God's word, who believes man's word over God's word. There are many today that preach more of man's word than God's word, and the result is almost always in error. How many times have you heard a sermon where the presenter inserts an example or an object lesson based upon experience, but the logical conclusion of the message or the example falls short of the plain sense of the word of God? In this case, the false message concerns Christ and is twisted in such a way as to make the witness of Scripture a lie, and indeed God a liar. The emphasis is placed upon the object of this phrase, namely, sutes, a liar, since it is placed at the head of the phrase. John uses the same kind of blunt language as he used in one, chapter 1, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 22, and again in chapter 4, verse 20. One is a liar who denies his own sin is sin. One is a liar who denies Jesus is the Christ. One is a liar who hates his fellow believer in Christ. 
The fruit that the born-again person bears is rooted in the basic truth of the Word of God. The fruit of the liar, however, is one of deception. Notice the perfect tense of poel. Perfect active indicative, third person singular. To make or do contains the subject, so the translation is, he has made him a liar. Move down to the next phrase. Because he has not believed in the testimony which God bore witness concerning his son. The reason for this rather harsh statement is introduced by the Hati clause, because or since. He has not believed the testimony. The perfect of the verb pistuo, the perfect active indicative verb, to think, to be true or to believe reflects the completed nature of their unbelief. This unbeliever simply does not believe the gospel message concerning the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel message is the matura, the testimony or witness that is given out by all believers. So the belief is directed ice, the preposition into, his son. The gospel message is highlighted by the use of the relative pronoun hos, which, and serves to point to the subject of the verb that comes from maturio, uh, another verb that's a perfect active indicative. It, that is, the testimony, has borne witness. Do you notice that? The pronoun is feminine. So it points to the testimony. The perfect tense speaks of the completeness of the testimony. That is, that all that is intended to be spoken has been spoken. It's complete. Notice the source of the testimony is God himself. The subject of the phrase and the message concerns tu huiu atu, the son of him. Jesus Christ himself. Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony, that simple first phrase. After establishing the source of the testimony, John now moves to the content of the testimony by declaring, kai ate estin he matura. And this is the testimony. The demonstrative pronoun, hutas, is feminine, this pointing to the testimony maturia, another feminine uh, nominative, uh, so it's the subject, uh, the testimony, wherein the definite article further highlights the specific story, the legal testimony. The next phrase, that God gave to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The message is that God is the source of life, and He has given life in His Son. What does it mean to have life? John defines eternal life in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. And he says this, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that Your Son also may glorify You. As you have given him authority over all flesh, 
Ooh, did you notice that? Gave him authority over all flesh. It goes on to say that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Where is the authority? The authority is in Christ. It continues, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Here, eternal life is indefinite. There is no definite article there. Meaning that this describes the character of the life. The conjunction hati, that marks the explanation or declaration of the testimony concerning life in the Son. The term zoe ionon, eternal life, is a technical term expressing a new mode or manner of life that the born-again person possesses now and into eternity. The Greek zoe, life, represents the Hebrew concept of eternal life that stretches way back into the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah speaks of the dead that will in due course be raised, some to everlasting life. That's in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. And the psalmist writes of life containing joy in the presence of God. Psalm 16, verse 11. However, the full depth of our knowledge of eternal life comes from the New Testament as life means knowing Jesus in a Hebrew idiom kind of way. That is, knowledge in an intimate sense. You might say knowledge in a very close face-to-face kind of way and involves fellowship and abiding in the person. A new manner of life. Uh, Putting on new clothes is all-encompassing in the concept of eternal life. That is, a new life as a born-again child of God in Christ. No longer will we have this separation from God because of sin. In fact, ultimately, knowing Christ will be experienced in all its glory and fullness in our future glorified state with Christ. The adjective ionos is an accusative feminine singular. Eternal modifies life. And in this context, simply means without end. Our new life in Christ serves as a new, a new manner of life with Christ without end. The verb for the clause is the aorist of didomai. Aorist active indicative, to give or to grant and could be identified as an constantive heiress, meaning the Son gave us life, viewing the action as a whole, without regard to its internal workings. This is the grace concept lived out in reality, as God himself chose us, believers, in him before the foundation of the the world, to be holy and without blame before him. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It is the Son, however, that had been granted all life and judgment on earth. This is the high theology of the unity of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all participate in the salvation process. God the Father predestined, 
God the Son came in the flesh and, and paid the price in his death. And God the Spirit convicts, transforms, indwells, baptizes, seals, teaches. What a blessing it is that God does not leave us orphans without a helper in this fallen world. John uses the first person plural pronoun, ego, to us, including himself in this great truth in which the dative provides the direction of the gift. Life was given to us. Notice, theos, God, is placed at the end of the phrase and eternal life at the head, thus emphasizing the great gift that is eternal life. John concludes this statement of fact with the phrase, Kai ate he zoe in tu weu atu estin, and this life is in his son. The feminine demonstrative pronoun hutas, this points to the feminine of zoe, the life, making life specific in the sun. Life is positionally in the huios, the sun. The use of the state of being verb, I me, is in the present, thus emphasizing that life in Jesus Christ is seen as a state of being. You might say that when we are saved, we have a new state of being in Christ. We have our being positionally in Him. We are saved and possess a new life in Christ. Legally, we are positionally in Christ, meaning we are legally covered by everything it means to be placed into the family as an adopted son of God, with all the rights and responsibilities thereof. It means that once we are placed in Christ... We are saved, and there is no one and nothing that can take away our position in the family. We stand as a child of God once we are associated with Christ and truly born again from above. We are legally acquitted of our sin because Christ paid the price as our substitute, satisfying the righteous demands of God in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It means that we are in the family of God now and forever. Eternal life means just that. Our new life in Christ is forever. Taking the picture drawn from baptism, we are seen wearing new clothes. Move down to verse 12. He that has the Son has life. The use of the present participles used here is important. The idea of a present participle of echo, present active participle, nominative masculine singular, with the definite article to have or to hold, is that this person is one that right now possesses the sun. This person is known as one that possesses the sun. His or her occupation, you might say, is one of possessing the sun. He is a Christian. The word moves from a present participle to the present verb of echo. He or she continues 
to possess life. Life is specific as the definite article is included with Zoe. The life, meaning that eternal life is given by the Son to those who believe in His name. The next phrase, He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. Knowing who has life is as simple as one acknowledging that eternal life comes only through the Son and only to those who are born from above. Believing that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are essential to believing and trusting in Jesus as one's personal Savior. So it is that John defines the person who does not have life as one that does not have the Son. Again, the present participle of echo, to have or to hold, is translated the one that right now does not possess the Son does not possess the life. The object of possession is Tan Huion to Theu, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. There is no mistaking who this person is, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, the very one that conquered death in his resurrection, thus giving Zoe, life, the life, the definite articles there, a particular life that is in him, in God, to who he wills, to those who believe in him. If one does not believe in him and the testimony, then this person does not possess the object of the phrase life. Notice, this object of the phrase life is placed at the head, again, stressing its significance. Whereas the present tense verb of echo, to have or to hold, is placed at the end of the phrase. The all-important thing is trusting in Christ for our new life in Christ, now and every day, even unto eternity. I hope you have enjoyed this lesson. Now go and translate the next section and come back for the next lesson. 